Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life, so we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at www.christchapelcollege.org and on Instagram at Christ Chapel College. Buried in the Old Testament, there's this book called Jonah. And what I love about the book of Jonah is that we read this story about this guy who is a prophet. He is, he is the mouthpiece of God during a very specific time in the history of Israel. And what I love about Jonah is this dude is all over the place. This dude is just crazy inconsistent with the way that he lives life. And I think that oftentimes in the church, we look at Jonah as kind of this picture of what not to do, or we'll kind of point fingers at him thinking, man, this guy's faith is like all over the place. Like, who is this guy? But when I read the story of Jonah, I feel comfort because I know that I'm not alone. I know that if this is the mouthpiece of God, if this is a guy that is a prophet of God, yet his spiritual life is all over the place, he's crazy inconsistent, that's not a license for me to be inconsistent, but it at least brings me comfort knowing that maybe our spiritual trajectory kind of has some peaks and some valleys and some ups and downs. And I tell you that because we are going to um, be essentially for the rest of the semester in the book of Jonah. And uh, it's a book that only has four chapters in it, um, but it is rich and it is deep. And I think that oftentimes we just kind of fly through it if you've ever kind of studied that book. And so we're going to go pretty much verse by verse uh, for the next eight or nine weeks and just kind of take a deep dive into Jonah's story. Because I think that Jonah's story, if we're honest, is, is really our story in a lot of ways. A lot of the things that we experience in our faith, Jonah experienced as well. And so what I want to do is I want to use the book of Jonah to kind of be a mirror and, and to really just kind of stop and say, all right, um, where does my life have the inconsistencies that maybe Jonah's life did? But more importantly, how can we grow and change and, and become people that are much more consistent in the way that we follow Christ. And so my hope and my prayer is that this is actually a really shaping book for us, um, that, that this book kind of forms us in some really unique ways to, to be more consistent, but also just to grow to look more like Christ. Because I think, um, if I'm honest, and this is just a confession, uh, Mitch and I were talking about, about this the other day, I think that oftentimes we kind of approach church as a place to be entertained and not to be formed. Meaning that oftentimes, even as a communicator, I can think, man, I'm going to use the word of God to entertain you. I'm going to try to make you laugh or make you feel certain things so you'll come back next week. And the reality is that is a swing and a miss on my part because if I'm not taking the word of God and, and saying, hey, this is the thing that should shape us, inform us, and we're doing something wrong. Right? And so my hope is that this is a chance for us to just kind of stop, slow down, go verse by verse, and think, all right, how is the word of God shaping us and forming us? And my hope is that uh, in eight or nine weeks, we look back and think, man, this was a really shaping thing for us as followers of Christ. And so that's kind of where, where we're going over the next uh, few weeks. And today specifically, we are going to kind of drill in and, and talk about how our kind of understanding, or more importantly, our misunderstandings of who God is and his character actually shape the way that we behave and shape the way that we navigate life. And I'll show you what I mean. Zach did an awesome job just reading, but let me uh, read this for us one more time. Uh, this is Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, 
that great city and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. All right, so there is honestly so much in these three verses. And so I want to point out um, a couple of really important observations that, that kind of set the tone really for the rest of this entire book. Um, first thing to kind of point, point out that if you were to read this in kind of an early Jewish context, would kind of blow your mind and kind of shock you a little bit, is that Jonah is a prophet of God, yet God sends him to a Gentile nation to preach repentance, right? Um, Old Testament prophets were, were usually in charge of kind of insider critique. They would go to the people of God and say, hey, guys, we as the children of God have wandered so far from who he is, what he has called us to do, and we need to turn and repent, need, need, need to turn and come back to who God is and follow him with obedience. And the reality is that no one really went to Gentile nations. Right, this is a kind of uh, a weird kind of one-off that, that they would send him out to people that weren't part of the family of God to preach repentance. But more importantly, what is incredibly more shocking is who God sends Jonah to. He sends him to Nineveh, which is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Um, I've been reading stories this week about how the Assyrian Empire worked and how they ruled and how they reigned and I got nauseous because the Assyrians were bad dudes. If you were to, to read the Assyrian history, what you find is that the way that they kind of worked and operated is that they ruled with fear. And when they would conquer their enemies, they would um, essentially create a theater out of torture and mutilation. And those that they didn't kill or torture, they would take as slaves and ask the slaves to do deplorable things. And everybody in the known world at the time, they didn't just fear the Assyrians, they, they were grossed out by them. It was a deplorable evil. They were doing things to all the nations around them that, that we can barely even fathom. And so Jonah gets sent not just to, to preach repentance to another nation, he gets sent to, to preach repentance to the Assyrians, the enemies of Israel, who were known not just to be brutal, but to be evil and sadistic. I mean, I mean it, is, it is so dark what these guys did. And I tell you that because I don't want us to miss the gravity of what God is calling Jonah to do. Because these aren't just any foreign power. These are the Assyrians. And so what Jonah does when he hears the voice of God, when he hears God say, hey, I want you to go not just preach repentance, but go preach repentance to the Assyrians. Jonah does something specific. He turns and he runs the opposite way. He turns and he runs the opposite way. Um, it says that he gets on a boat and he goes to Tarshish. Um, Tarshish probably means nothing to us, but I'll show you where Tarshish is. I have a little map here. So, so, so Israel is right here. Assyria is over here. So uh, Nineveh is about 500 miles uh, northeast of um, Israel. Tarshish is directly west. And what, what we know about Tarshish is that Tarshish, um, to the people of Israel, um, was the furthest point that they knew about. So it's essentially the opposite side of the world. He thought, what is the furthest place that I could possibly go in relation to Assyria? 
Tarshish. That's it. So he hops on a boat and he just runs the complete opposite way. Um, studies say that that Israel wasn't really sure how far Tarshish was or, or kind of what it was like. All they knew is it was the opposite side of the known world. And so all Jonah knows is I'm getting the complete opposite direction. I'm, that's where I'm going. But what's interesting is that uh, Jonah doesn't just flee Nineveh. He doesn't just run from the Assyrians. The text tells us specifically that he runs from the presence of God. Twice in these three verses, it says that he rose to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, here's why that is also shocking. When you read the scriptures, what we find is that the presence of the Lord is the place where every single person wanted to be. Everybody wanted to be in the presence of the Lord because in the presence of God is where joy and peace and life are found, right? Let me give you a couple examples. In Psalm uh, 1611, it says this. It says, you make known to me the path of life and in your presence, in your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist said, I long to be in your presence because in your presence, that's where joy and life and pleasure are found. In Psalm 27, four, it says this. It says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Right? The psalmist is saying, man, if I had one request, if I could do one thing for the rest of my life, for all of my days, is just to simply dwell in the house of God. It's to be in the presence of God, to be near God. Man, that's what, I, like, for the rest of my days, I just want to be near and be close to God. That's my only desire. Psalm 84, I'll show you one, one more. It says, it says this, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they sing for joy for the living God. Skip down to verse 10, it says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And I love this last, last line. It says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Like, this almost is saying, I mean, I want to just hold the door in your house. If I have one wish, one desire, I man, I just want to be the doorman. I want to be like, I mean, that's all it would take to just bring satisfaction to my soul. I just want to hold the door in your house so I can just be somewhat close to you. That would be enough. Right? All throughout scripture, the presence of God is the place where people want to be. They want to live and dwell forever because that's where life and joy and satisfaction are found. Yet Jonah, who is the mouthpiece of God, when God speaks to Jonah, what Jonah does is he runs the complete opposite direction, not just away from Assyria, but away from God, away from the presence of God saying, I don't just want to be away from the Assyrians. I, I want nothing to do with God. That's pretty heavy. And so the question is why? What, what would possess Jonah, this prophet, to run from God in such a prolific way? Well, I think we can make a couple guesses. I think one, uh, there's a practical standpoint, right? Um, the reality is it's a pretty dangerous thing to, for him to go to Assyria, right? Like um, imagine if someone um, asked you to walk into an ISIS camp and start preaching the gospel. Right? We can probably all agree that might not play out well for anybody, right? And so there is, there is the, the kind of practical idea that, man, I, I don't know if this is safe. 
I mean, yeah, I know that God said that, but I mean, I, I don't even, like, I could die. Like, I don't even know if this is a safe move for me to do, right? So there's probably a practical standpoint, but then there's pr- probably a personal objection on Jonah's part, right? Jonah understands who these people are. I mean, these people have been um, a, a thorn in the side of Israel for a long time. And so for him to go preach repentance means that there's the possibility that God could show mercy on the Assyrians. That God could show mercy on these people that are wicked and deplorable and evil. And, and there's a good chance that Jonah has this kind of personal, um, oops, sorry about that, Siri. Um, there is this, uh, I, I talk to Siri as if she's a real person, which is dumb. Um, but uh, there is this, there's this thought process that, that, that maybe God would show them mercy. And they won't get what they rightfully deserve. They won't get destruction because, I mean, they've been praying for that God would destroy, wipe these Syrians out for a long time. So maybe there's a personal objection where Jonah's like, I just don't want them to receive mercy. There's all these different guesses that we could make. And we'll find more about kind of Jonah's hard posture as we go along. But if we could just boil it down to one idea, the reason why Jonah runs from the presence of God because he simply doesn't like what God has to say. He simply doesn't like what God has to say. He hears God's voice. He hears God's word to go preach mercy and repentance to the Assyrians, these, these horrible people. He says, yeah, I'm not vibing. I'm, I'm, I don't like that. I don't like what you have to say. And he just runs. He just does the opposite. And I think this is where our story and Jonah's story kind of coincide. This is where our story and Jonah's story kind of collide because if we're honest, oftentimes when God speaks to us or we hear the voice of God or we read the voice of God, what we find is that God will say stuff that we simply don't like and our response is just to run in the opposite direction. Now, if you've been around church for a long time, this is the moment in the sermon where you're going to be tempted to check out. And here's why. This is like the white noise part of what's happening because when we start to talk about running from God or sinning or or living a life um, of disobedience to God, we all kind of in theory know that's not a great move for our life, but we honestly don't really care, right? Sin, like running from God, like, like ignoring the voice of God is kind of like smoking cigarettes, right? Everyone knows it's a bad idea, but like, ah, it's kind of whatever, right? Like if you were to like walk up to a guy on 7th Street, if you're out you know, hanging out and you see a guy smoking outside a bar and you say, hey, um, excuse me, sir, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, smoking has been linked to cancer. Um, he's probably not going to be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like, thank you so much. Like, why has no one told me that? Like, he'll, he'll probably have a much more colorful response to you, right? Um, because we all know that like there are certain things in our life that's like, yeah, it's not the best move for my life. Yeah, I know that running from God, I know that disobeying the voice, the voice of God, that, that ignoring what God has to say isn't the best life choice, but I kind of like it. And honestly, I don't care all that much. And the reality is that when we talk about the idea that we are people that run from God, that when we hear the voice of God and say, hey, I don't like that, I don't like what you have to say, and we do the opposite, that should be incredibly concerning for us. Oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes we hear, we just kind of keep going with our lives. But the reality is that should be incredibly concerning for us for one specific reason. Because if you are a follower of Christ, 
If you say that Christ is Lord of my life, that, that I submit to you, that, that you are um, over my life, and, and that I want to glorify you with everything that I have, there should be something concerning because our, um, our running from God, our disobedience reveals a fundamental misunderstanding of the character of God, namely that we don't trust that he's for our good. We run from God, we disobey God, because deep down, we believe that if, that if God was going to actually call us to do something that we don't like, that, that maybe God's trying to rob us of joy or lead us into a place where, uh, where life's not going to play out the way that we desire it to. And so oftentimes, we run because we have this fun, fundamental misunderstanding of the nature and character of who God is, right? So uh, Tim Keller actually says, says it like this. I think that this is a beautiful quote. He says, if you want to understand your behavior, you must understand that all sin against God is grounded in a refusal to believe that God is more dedicated to our good and more aware of what that is than we are. We distrust God because we assume that he is not truly for us, that if we give him complete control, we will be miserable. And it's right. I love that quote. Right? He says, look, our fundamental misunderstanding is that we believe that man, if, if we were to really obey everything that God calls us to, if we were to say, all right, Lord, yes, I trust you. I'm going to obey, even if I don't like it. If we, like, if we actually obey the word of God, what we believe deep down, whether we would articulate it like this or not, is that we're going to be miserable because we don't actually believe that God's for us the way that we want him to be. We don't actually believe that God's trying to lead us into joy. Right? And so what happens is that we fundamentally misunderstand the character and nature of God, and we disobey because we think, no, no, that's not going to lead to joy. I think I know what is. We run the opposite way. Right? And that should be concerning to us because that reveals this kind of deep misunderstanding of who God is, and our actions and behaviors are always shaped by our understanding of who God is. So, that should be something, again, that is concerning. And maybe it's not, but it should be. If we truly want to follow after Christ, that should be concerning. Our running, we should not be okay with that. That should not sit well with us. That has to change, right? So the question is, how do we change? How do we begin to, to move in a place where we stop running from the Lord, from the presence of God, but actually run to him and, and to live a life that's just honestly radically obedient to the things that he calls us to? Um, I want to get really specific. In fact, um, I want to kind of spend the rest of our time uh, talking through kind of essentially four diagnostic questions that I want you to ask this week. And um, if I can challenge you with, with something, um, I would love to challenge you to, to process these with the Lord by, by yourself, but then process it with community as well. Find some friends that you love and trust and um, f find some time to get lunch or coffee or whatever Christians are doing now, and, uh, and we'll uh, like, and just kind of sit and process and just ask the Lord, all right, like, like what do you guys think about this? Like, like I talked to a guy, like, this is what I think God is going to say, but also just process in the context of community. And here's the first thing that I would, I would ask you to, to do. First is to identify some of the ways that God has called you to live that you just don't trust. Identify some of the ways that God has called you to live that you just don't trust, right? First, I think in our kind of process of running, we need to identify what we don't like about what God says, right? Um, when you read the Old Testament, the, the personal name for God is Yahweh, but it's trans 
translated Lord in all caps. So like anytime if you read and it says Lord in all caps, that's, that's a personal name of God, right? In the New Testament, they call Jesus Lord, right? They call him Lord. We oftentimes say that, that you know, Christ is our Lord and Savior, right? The, that's a word that we, we kind of throw around a lot, but the reality is we don't oftentimes understand the gravity of what that word means, right? Because the word Lord means master, Right? It means that if, if someone is Lord over our life, they have authority over our life. And so the minute that you and I declare that Jesus is Lord of our life, we are saying that his word, what he says, is the authority by which we live. Right? But oftentimes we don't function like that. We'll say, yeah, I, I, I trust you, I follow you, but we'll just kind of do the opposite thing because we just don't like certain things. Right? And so first, I think we have to identify, I mean, what are the things that just rub us the wrong way about the word of God? And there's probably a lot, right? Maybe it's a big picture thing. Maybe you don't like the biblical ethic of sex and you look at sex and you look at um, what our culture says and you look at what, what the Bible says and you say, man, that's, that's archaic and restrictive and old school. And, and there's just something about that that just, you just don't like, right? But maybe it's a kind of more kind of smaller, insignificant, or at least seemingly insignificant thing, thing like the concept of forgiveness, all throughout scripture, it says that we are to love our enemies, to forgive those that have hurt us. Well, if you've ever been hurt, if someone has deeply wounded you, then, then you might have a problem with that idea. Like really, like, like, like I'm supposed to love and forgive that person for after what they've done, right? Like, like that could rub you the wrong way, right? There's all these things within scripture that, that are big and small and, and everything in between that, that we need to identify to say, hey, you know what? I don't like this. I don't do this because I don't like it. And I think that if I were to actually obey what God calls me to do, it's going to rob me of joy. It's going to lead me to a place that I don't actually want. I don't actually believe that God is for me. So, so first, identify the things that God says that you're like, I'm, I'm really just not down to obey what God says, right? Here's the second thing. I want you to ask, what about your experience with God makes you hesitant to trust him? Process this. What about your experience with God makes you hesitant to trust him. And here's what I mean. For some of you, maybe your life has been so chaotic and there have been some things that you've experienced or things that have been done to you that have left you in a place where you have some, some legitimate reasons to, to, to doubt whether God's actually who he says he is. And that's you, I'm so sorry. Like, it's not lost on me that, that maybe you have experienced some, some crazy traumatic things in your life, and there's a legitimate kind of distrust to say, I mean, I, I know what God says in his word, but based on what I've experienced in life, I'm, I'm not sure if he's exactly who he says he's. I don't know if I can actually trust him the way that he calls me to, right? That's a legitimate thing. But there's probably others of us in the room who, if we were to really break it down and look at the reasons why we're hesitant to trust God, we'll actually find God has been significantly more faithful than we ever thought. He's been significantly more constant and steadfast than we've ever really realized because we just never really stopped to really process all the ways that God has been faithful to us, right? I think in this room, there's, there's a variety of stories, variety of backgrounds, but I would love for us to just kind of stop and think and, and just reflect on, I mean, wh why am I hesitant to actually trust God? Because I think wherever you fall, one of the, the truths that, that is true for every single person in the room, no matter where you're from, what you've experienced, is that in the moments when we are hesitant to trust God, we can't argue with the cross. 
We can't argue with the gospel of Jesus Christ because what the gospel says is that God is so for us, so for our good, so for us experiencing life that he gave his son. Right? In Romans 8, it says that if a God is for us, who can be against us? And it's this kind of argument that Paul's trying to make that, that, we, that we serve a God that is so ferociously on our side, so ferociously for us. And, and the evidence that Paul gives for why we know that God is for us is that he did not withhold his son. That, that from the very beginning of time, the, the penalty for sin is death. When sin is committed, something or someone has to die. Blood is the only thing that covers sin. And the grace of what God has done for us is that we didn't have to die that death. That Jesus stepped in and his blood covered our sin for us. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, the beauty of the gospel is that God did not withhold his own son. So what makes you think he's going to hold out on you now? If God didn't withhold his son from you, what makes you think that he's holding out when it comes to your relationships? What makes you think that he's holding out on you when it comes to your future? What makes you think God's holding out on you when it comes to your joy? Because if God didn't withhold his son, then God's not withholding anything good from you because he gave you the ultimate good. And so wherever we fall, we need to just kind of sit and process what, what are some of the things that actually make me hesitant to trust God? The third question that I would have you ask is this. What are you afraid might happen if you live the life of obedience? What are you afraid might happen if you lived a life of obedience? Right? If you look at the story of Jonah, right? I would imagine that if Jonah were to actually process this and say, like, what am I afraid might happen if I were to be obedient? One, the Assyrians might kill me in a really dark way. That's a legitimate fear, right? But he also may have asked, I'm so sorry, guys. We'll figure that out later. Um, the other question that they might have been asking is, well, yes, I feared death, but also he may have feared that they would have received mercy, that the Assyrians might not have received what they had coming to them, Right? And when you look at those fears, one is a legitimate fear and one is a selfish fear. And I think for us, if we were to actually take a step back and we were to kind of say, all right, God, what am I actually afraid might happen if I obeyed you? Maybe there are legitimate fears and maybe there are selfish fears. Maybe there are fears that um, you're afraid that you might be alone. That if I were to actually obey the word of God, it might put me on the outside of my friend group, and I'll be alone. Maybe you're afraid that it will cost you your college experience, or you'll miss out on some part of the college experience. Maybe you're afraid that your family might think you're psycho for actually obeying the word of God. Maybe you might think that it, it might jeopardize your future, at least your plan for what the future looks like. It might cost you a relationship. There's some legitimate fears. I would ask you to just kind of stop and process, man, what actually keeps me from obeying God? What actually keeps me, what am I afraid of? What do I think might happen? And just process through what is a legit fear and what's a selfish fear and what just reveals I don't actually trust that God has me. Because the reality is that in all of our fears, we find, man, 
God still has me, if God is exactly who he says he is, then I can trust him. But what are those, those fears? And lastly, what are practical steps you can make towards obedience? What are practical ways you can make steps in your life toward obedience? Right? And these can be kind of big, giant overhaul things, or these can just be basic small steps. Right? It can be so, something as small as, man, I, don't, I don't honestly actually know what the word of God says, so I'm going to read it. The reason why I don't obey the word of God is because I'm not entirely sure what it says. I'm not entirely sure what he calls me to, so I'm going to just start, to start there and just start reading, right? Or maybe it's something big and heavy and, but clear. Maybe it means that you need to get out of a toxic relationship. Maybe it means that you need to learn to say no more often. Maybe it means a number of things that, that, that might seem scary, that might feel weird, but, but what are the practical steps we can take towards actually saying, all right, Lord, I know what your word says. And as much as I'm afraid to say yes to that, as much as I'm afraid to obey, I'm going to step out and I'm going to actually do what I can to start making strides towards being obedient. Right? At the end of the day, our running is a big deal. Oftentimes, it's white noise. We've heard it a million times. We know that running from God is an ideal. It's not a great life choice, but the reality is sometimes it's so tempting. Sometimes we enjoy it. I think one of the misconceptions about sin is that it's not fun. Sin's incredibly fun. That's why we do it. So maybe there are moments in life when you, you don't want to stop running because you just kind of like where you're heading. You like the chase. You like Run, but our running, if we truly believe, if, if we declare with our mouths that Jesus is the Lord of our life, that he is the authority of our life, that his word is the authority in our life, then the fact that we say I trust him, yet we don't actually do what he says, that disconnect should be alarming to us. It should be concerning. And so my hope and my prayer is that if we are a people that run, that we learn to run towards the presence of God, through obedience to what he says, as opposed to running from him because we simply don't like what he says. And so my hope is that as we learn to be obedient, that we run towards him, we find that God's exactly who he says he is, that God can be trusted with our joy because he's good. Let me pray. Father, you are, you are constant, you are steadfast. Father, I know that at least for me, there are so many times in life when I, uh, I know what you say, I know what you want from me, I know that there are certain things that are going to lead to my joy, even though it might be painful in the moment. But I just don't want to do it. I'm content with my sin. It kind of feels like home, if I'm honest. So Father, at least in my own heart, God, will you continue to bring more conviction about what it looks like to be obedient to you, to stop running, to understand that in your presence is fullness of life and joy, and that's the place where I want to be. Father, for my brothers and sisters in the room today who might feel 
like it's time to run back to you. God, will you remind them of your grace? That when they change directions, that they can come to you without fear, without shame, without guilt, because your son has, has made a way that through your son we can approach with boldness and with confidence. May we run to you, run to your presence knowing that it is available through Christ, that you welcome us home with open arms. God, will you bring to our minds what it looks like to be obedient to you, even if it might cost us. May we stand in awe of a God that is worthy of our trust, worthy of our life. Will you do a phenomenal work in our hearts, God? We love you. Turn your subject and pray.